Hello, this is Margarita Monet from Edge of Paradise, and you are listening to the Metal Pit Podcast. Welcome to the Metal Pit Podcast, where we delve deep into the albums and bands that shaped metal. Please visit our website, The Metal Pit, at www.themetalpit.org. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Metal Pit. And for some video interviews, video shorts, and audio versions of this podcast, please visit our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com at The Metal Pit 666. Tonight we are, oh, my guests tonight are two of my writers at the Metal Pit, Jim and Ken. How are you guys tonight? Well, we're awesome. good, sir. Uh, what, did you do anything metal this week? Did you listen to any new albums? Did you, Jim, I know you listened to, you <laughs> just reviewed Children of Bodom, the live album. Do you want to say something about that on here so people will go read your review on the website? Oh yeah, what an amazing album. I mean, this is the last the last show, live show that they did as their lineup, their, their finished lineup there. Uh and you know, it was a year before Alexi Leho passed, you know, unfortunately, but they had broken up and it's the last show. So what a heck of a recording. I mean, that's probably that I'd already picked one of my favorite live albums of the year, but then this one is going to creep in on the 15th of December and I think it's probably going to tie it or overtake it. It's a great album, great production, great crowd participation. And I really hope uh, maybe a DVD follows with it as well. So it's really, really awesome album. What about you, Ken? Did you do anything metal this week? <laughs> uh, no, I was just listening to um, the album that we're going to talk about here. But uh, no, it was a quiet week for me. Okay, and I didn't do anything well. I mean, I did stuff metal, whatever, but... <laughs> okay so yeah so this okay so the last episode we went back to 1981 and we talked about an iron maiden's album killers and this week we're going to stay in 1981 (laughs) and we're going to talk about ozzy osbourne's second solo album diary of a madman and just like Killers, it was the, the second album, and it was the second, and Iron Maiden's album, it was the last album with Paul Diano as a singer, and this album is, of course, the last album with Randy Rhodes, because, of course, next the next year, 1982, he passed away in a plane crash. And so there was both big changes for Iron Maiden and Ozzy Osbourne after their two albums. Uh so as a yeah, Diary of Madman is the final album with Randy Rhodes. Uh, now, although bassist Rudy Sarzo and drummer Tom Aldridge are credited in the liner notes and pictured on the inner sleeve of the American release of this album, they were not on the album, but I guess they toured with them after or something like that, I think is what it was. But it was Bob Daisley on bass and drummer Lee Kerslake who was on the drums on this album. Aldridge has stated, I think it's pretty obvious that it's not my drumming on this album, and I have never taken credit for that recording. Uh, I always give credit to Lee Kerslake because he deserves it, of course. And, of course, it's obvious if you recorded the thing, you should get the credit. 
Uh, see, Daisley provided significant contributions to the album songwriting, having written some of the music and most of the lyrics. Kersley claims to have also had a hand in the writing of the album, even performing lead vocals on some of the demo recordings of the songs like Flying High Again. Now, Jim, I know you, I know there's a big controversy here with this stuff with uh, Sharon Osbourne and I don't know who did it all, but you just watched a documentary on Lee Kerslake. Do you want to add anything to this stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of cool. It's a kind of a weird story. And you really find out that, you know, I think Sharon Osbourne was definitely pulling the strings back then. And uh, so Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake actually left the band. I believe they were fired. Um, I know, I believe Curse Lake went on to look after his ill mother, um, but they were never giving any writing credits or even performing credits, like you said. On the album, they went with, uh, you know, in the liner notes and that with and the sleeve pictures with Rudy Sarzo and uh, Tommy Aldridge, who I both have huge respect for, and especially after the fact that they've publicly always came out and said that they weren't on the actual uh creation of the album so that's really neat but it even goes farther than that so not only were they shut out of royalties and such uh with that they also you know they went sharon apparently well it was uh, sharon blames ozzy ozzy blames sharon but in 2002 they actually did a re-release for the and what had happened was they actually removed their bass and their drum parts out of it and they used two different people altogether. They ended up using uh, Randy Torello, you know, from Suicidal Tendencies slash Metallica for bass. And then they used Mike Borden from Faith No More for drums too. And I believe both of them were touring with uh, Ozzy at the time and have done a lot of work for him. So they actually re-recorded the parts, then re-released the album. And after the album got re-released, there was such a fan outcry for it that they ended up, the the record company ended up putting a sticker on it, stating the difference of the changes that happened. And then again, I believe it was in 2011 when the 30th anniversary came out, they reinstituted the original uh, players of Lee Kerslake and Bob Daisley back to it. So, um, you know, and in the documentary with Lee Kerslake, he's kind of exploring his, uh, it's called uh, Nod on the Heap. And, you know, everybody obviously knows he's, he's uh, was was a longtime drummer for Uriah Heap. Um, his bucket list was to, you know, he always wanted to get credit for uh, for his writing and for taking part and, and his drumming on the actual first two Ozzy albums. And, you know, in the actual documentary, uh, he sends like a letter off to uh, Sharon and Ozzy and they end up get sending him his platinum records so it was kind of touching and kind of moving that 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 happened and finally uh you know the the osborne camp kind of saw the light a bit i mean uh give this this poor dying uh you know musician who's a legend uh one of his final wishes and uh, he wanted them for you know on his wall and he wanted to leave them to his family and he wanted you know he wants everybody to know he was part of that which he was a big part of it i mean going back when he first joined the band, Kers Lake, I mean, they were looking for a drummer and they were looking and looking. And I believe he was the last uh, last drummer they were trying out and they just absolutely, it just clicked. And I mean, he's a fat, phenomenal drummer, just like Bob Daisley's an amazing uh, bassist. So, you know, it's just, I, what's right is right. And uh, I think just the kind of the games over the years with this kind of, 
you know, unfortunately, maybe tarnishes Sharon's uh, sort of business ethics a little bit. And, you know, Ozzy, unfortunately, really probably didn't have much to say. And he, I know it's written like in his book and that, that he had said that she did it and she said he did it. But I, I think it was more along the lines of a little bit of animosity there towards the fact that they ended up going to court over uh, over rights and stuff like that. So so quite a quite a kerfuffle all the way. However, the newest one, it's been restored. So and fans had a big hand in that. They they spoke up and you know, metal fans really want to hear the real thing and the real story. Nothing against Robert Trillo or Mike Borden, both great musicians in their own, and same with Sarzo and uh <clears throat> you know, Sarzo and Aldridge. But uh, you know, the we, we everybody wants to hear the album the way it was. If you want to remaster it, that's great. But you don't go and re-record like that with totally different people. But anyway, so that's that's the story. And unfortunate, the good thing is he did get, you know, he got his uh, he got his platinum records prior to his death in 2020, and uh, so that was at least some closure there, I, I would assume. So, and Ken, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, the only thing I'll say is like I I think what started this whole thing off though was that originally it was meant to be a band band not an Aussie solo <laughs> record right, they were right. originally going to be called Blizzard of Oz and everyone involved was under the understanding when this thing formed that they were going to be a band but for whatever reasons and I think Jim has mentioned it obviously Sharon and Ozzy and I'm sure Sharon had a big hand in this it all kind of changed hands when they went to do the second album and obviously he shot them out and it just ultimately became an Aussie solo record where the guys just contributed it but yeah, so I think that's where it all kind of started at the, at, at the beginning of all this. Well, my thoughts are the worst thing that happened to Ozzy's career was marrying <laughs> Sharon. <laughs> but anyway, that's just me. Okay. <laughs> now uh, we did that. We did already do a podcast on Blizzard of Oz album, and Jim was on that one. So I guess I'm not gonna if I'm not gonna ask Jim, and I'm not gonna say when I first heard this album or heard Ozzy. Of course, I think we all heard Ozzy and Black Sabbath, but I'll ask Ken to answer that question. So you want to talk about when you first heard Ozzy or this album or whatever? Yeah, yeah actually, um, it's kind of funny because uh, I'm going to date myself. Like, when I was 12 years old, this album came out. So when it came out, I used to have my radio and I used to record um, Dr. Demento and I used to record like um, a Lights Out. These were on, like I believe, Chum FM in Toronto. So they were like radio programs. So I had a tape with uh, Dr. Demento on it. And I was, it was weird. I was, I turned the tape on. And at the end of the tape, it came on Flying High Again, which is the first time I've heard that Aussie song. And I absolutely loved it. And I don't, I can't even recall how I recorded that song. So obviously it was on the radio at the time. And I recorded it. So uh, that was my first introduction to Ozzy was Flying High Again. And then eventually I got that album and totally got into Ozzy. Then went back eventually as I got a little bit older into Black Sabbath. But yeah, that's where I got my first exposure to uh, Ozzy Osbourne. Well, so you really heard Ozzy before Black Sabbath. Yeah, exactly. Right. That, okay. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And then I went back to hear Black Sabbath afterwards. I can't even, even if I... I can't even remember when I got this album or anything about this. I remember Blizzard of Oz because I got that through Columbia House Records for <laughs> seven uh, cassettes for a cent or whatever. 
<laughs> but Jim, you can say when did did you get over? I assume you had Blizzard of Oz, and then you just got over the mountain when it came out after that, or whatever. No, probably for me, if I can remember, if I told this right on the first podcast, was uh, I think I got Bark at the Moon first, and oh, then okay. went back because oh. it was a little bit, little bit later. But I mean, I knew we knew all the Ozzy songs from there, and. My first kind of jump into Black Sabbath was I bought, like, I got uh, a paranoid uh, tape from an older brother for, like, a pack of smokes or something. And I got that and 74 Jailbreak for ACDC. And, uh, you know, I was blown away by it. And that's when I started delving into a lot of the Sabbath collection. The, the first Sabbath I really listened to would probably be the Dio era, uh, just because it was closer. I mean, when this album came out, I was 10, so... You know, I, I was just kind of getting into heavy metal at that point. So, yeah. Okay. Um, now, I usually, again, I go to that setlist.fm website, which has, you know, set lists from concerts and stuff. But there's really, according to that, they've only played five of these songs in concert before, which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. uh, if that's true. And uh the song well we'll get to that later but i'll mention diary of madman they've only played it 11 times live wow just kind of strange you would think yeah. for a title track of an album to not play it live more yeah, but anyway yeah. so there Crazy. but there is one song from this album that they've played the most live from this album any guesses which song it is that they've played the most live number one over the mountain yeah and it's or actually believer? it's actually flying high again Oh, oh wow. Okay. Yeah. By, well, I don't know. I think by a long shot, too. Actually, I think Over oh, the Mountain yeah. might be the second one, though. I need to find that. Sorry. I keep talking. <laughs> well, they got a lot of radio plays, so I could see Flying High again being the song that they play the most. Yes. Okay. I can't find it now. I, I think I lost my. Oh, no. There it is. Uh, Diary of a Madman album, yes. Flying High was like 736, and Believer was next at 300, and then Over yeah, the Mountain, yeah. 145. And wow. You Can't Kill Rock and Roll, twice. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how accurate that is, but anyway, that's what it says. Okay, so let's get to the song. So we're going to start off with Over the Mountain. And Ken, I'll let you go first on Over the Mountain. Oh, this is such a great song. I love this opening song. Um, you know, it's aggressive, it's heavy. Um, I remember reading a lot about what Bob Daisley had said about this because I, he wrote the lyrics for this song. When they were writing this song, they didn't really have a, a title for it. So they so it, they struggled with what the song or the concept was going to be. But ultimately, this is like a killer song right from the get-go of the drums. You get curse like on the drums. You get you get the riffs. You get the get you get that sound. It's a great song for me as an opening. And Jim, yeah, I mean this is classic Ozzy, and I mean one of the best. I probably in my top ten songs of Ozzy, uh, but and this album, I like this album actually better than the first album, better than the debut. I find it's probably a little bit more. I mean they they were honed up as a probably a little bit better of a band for me. Um, but I mean, over the mountain, what a way to start off. It's just a, a ripper of a track, you know, and, and every, like, 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 uh, Ken said, you know, this was written and it wasn't just written by Ozzy. So like, mm. this is where all that stuff comes in, comes into, uh, into play. 
But I mean, this was the first, I think uh, this was the second single that was released off the album. And I think it was released in like December of uh, 81. And, uh, you know, there's some kind of interesting cover versions. I know uh, I'm not a huge Striper fan, um, <laughs> but they do a pretty good cover of it on there. I think they do. They had, they had an album called The Covering or Covering. They do a pretty good cover of it. But this is just this is an awesome. And I think I've seen Ozzy twice and on the same tour night after night or within a couple nights of each other in Moncton and Halifax. And I know he played the song. If I remember right at, at both those shows. So, but no, this is one of my favorites and what a way to start off now. Yes, it is a great, I no, I'm the opposite of you. I like Blizzard of Oz album better than this album. Oh yeah. But this could definitely fit on the first album along with the next one too, I think. Yeah. But, <laughs> but we'll get into that more later, but yes, that is a great way to open the album and it's typical. And of course, Randy Rhodes guitar solo is awesome, of course, but I guess yeah. you can probably say that about, every one of them <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then we go to the drugged out song flying high again or at least i assume that's what it's about i don't really think it could be about anything else <laughs> so jim how do you like flying high again the song that is well it's it, the song is assumed to be about marijuana use but <laughs> ozzy has said before that it's about him becoming like leaving sabbath I mean, he didn't really leave Sabbath. He was forced to leave Sabbath. <laughs> but his leaving of Sabbath and going out on his own. Um, but I don't know if I totally believe that because here it is on the second album. Um, but, I mean, you've got that. It's This is an anthemic song. I mean, that riff, Randy is, I mean, on every song, we could just gush about Randy Rhodes. Um, but, you know, it was really sad that this, I really wish, like, I mean, you know, I know obviously Randy passed. Um you know, the year later, and, uh, and the band was pretty much Ozzy, and then he brought in all new people, but, you know, I can't imagine, like, I mean, I know probably Randy wasn't going to stay here, but it would have been so cool to see, like, a third album of what they would have come up with, with this lineup would have been just amazing, and I think it probably, I mean, the next album, Bark the Moon, is a great album. I like it because I was, you know, at the time, I, it was my first album I got, and I love the imagery of the cover and the videos were awesome, but I just can't imagine how good that album probably could have been and the changes with, with everything that, that, that could have stayed the same. But Flying High again, phenomenal song. And like I say, that, that uh, riff is just legendary in it. So, and as soon as you hear it, you know exactly. And with Ozzy's, and Ozzy's voice is actually really good. I like this album. I think his voice is better on this album than the first album. Yeah. Just my opinion though. And Ken, what do you think of the song? Oh, yeah. So I don't have much to say because I think Jim has pretty much said it all. But I will point out that, yeah, the, the his vocals are a lot better in this record overall than, than the first album. Um, again, it's a radio-friendly song. It's really, really catchy. And I, at the time when I first heard it, I, I totally fell in love with it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great song for me. I mean, I guess none of the lyrics really mention drugs, of course, but, you know, he says, Mama's going to worry I've been a bad, bad boy. No use saying sorry. It's something that I enjoy. That has nothing to do with leaving Black Sabbath, I don't think, <laughs> and getting into his solo artist thing. I don't know. It doesn't matter anyway, does it? Well, <laughs> but anyway, I, I, yes, I mean, that's, that's another really... great song. I love these first two yeah. songs. They're the great yeah. way to start the album. But, now... Uh, Daisley did write the write the lyrics for the song as well, so I don't know yeah. if he maybe yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say if it was about drug use, but 
Yeah. And I think originally Kearslake sung it in the demos. I think he That's like right. I don't know if there's I don't know if there's an actual demo of it. I'd love to hear it because he has amazing voice. But apparently when they were working on it, it was the two of them and, and Randy and they were just uh they were just, you know, going through it and he was doing a lot of the vocals on it, you know, until Ozzy uh, uh kind of took over. So cool. Hey, then we go to You Can't Kill Rock and Roll. Now, this is kind of a slow one, and just as I was, I think back when, you know, I listened to this, I didn't really care much about what the title of the song was, but as I'm preparing for the podcast, I'm reading, okay, you can't kill rock and roll, but it's kind of slow, and it's kind of weird. You think if you had a song called You Can't Kill Rock and Roll, that it'd be a hard rocking song, not a kind of slower song or whatever. But Ken, what do you think of You Can't Kill Rock and Roll? Uh, the song is all right. Like I, I find this is a funny song because lyrically, um, and I know it's been pointed out and said that you know they're looking at least the lyrics sort of want to bring the point of the idea that you know back in the eighties rock was being attacked for the idea of Satanism and all the usage of it and the symbolism in the songs. So the song itself is slow, and it's. Eh, it's okay for me, but just based on the lyrical content, I find it a little bit odd. But um, it's an okay song, but that's not one that I would want to revisit over and over. Jim? Yeah, I love the song. I mean, I love the lyrics in it. Uh, Leave me alone. Don't want your promises no more because rock and roll is my religion and my law. So, you know, I mean, you think of the cover of the albums. The cover of the album, I mean... You had the Blizzard of Oz, the first cover, and then you got this one. You got the nice upside down cross in the back there. You actually have his son in the makeup looking out yeah. the window or in the mirror right. there and uh, Lewis. And it's it's pretty cool. I mean, uh, you know, kind of taking it to a whole other level here. And I think, uh, you know, this song kind of exactly what Ken said. It's more of a kind of an anti-hater, you know, anti sort of religion song it doesn't quite attack it it kind of dances around the edge of it but i mean i find it it, it starts off super slow and then it kind of takes off there's a great guitar solo in it but there is in every one of these songs so um but no i really like it i think it's a great third track i mean you're coming down off the first two always the third track is going to be a little bit more kind of a mellowing out and uh you know not as not as rambunctious as the first two usually so a great track. I love it. I don't really like the track that much myself, but I do like the guitar solo. <laughs> anyway, then we go to Believer, which is obviously about believing in yourself, I think. And uh, I find this song is kind of close to saying to a Black Sabbath song on this album. It's kind of a little Sabbathy feel, especially at the start. Jam, what do you think of this Believer? Well, you know, I I think it's got a like Ozzy's voice on this is it's classically good. I think it's really good. Uh, you know, those that drum and that guitar intro that kind of play off each other. Um, you know, it just it sounds cool. And yeah, it does have a bit of that Sabbathy kind of doom sound to it. And yeah, that's exactly what the song's about. It's about uh believing in yourself. I'm you know, and uh again, uh, another great song. I you said it i think this was played the second most on this album you said like live yeah yes yeah kind of shocked at that but uh i don't know if i saw it live i can't remember but uh no it's another great song i mean i, I love every song on this album there's not a single song i don't like so 
Just going to tell you now. <laughs> okay, Ken, what do you think of Believer? Yeah, it, it's a good song. It's meaty. It's got a lot of really meaty riffs. And as you, we've all been saying, every song is going to have that. So that's what makes it interesting for me. Um, I, I, yeah, there's a Sabbath connection. It does, it does kind of remind me of a song that Sabbath would have played. So, and I'm not surprised that it's as as you mentioned, Blake. It's been played on um, Setlist FM that many times. So, yeah, yeah, it's a pretty decent song overall. And then we have Little Dolls. Ken, mm. what do you think of Little Dolls? All right. This is an interesting song for me because, um, well, you're talking about uh, torment. You're talking about suffering and the consequences of your actions. It, it all like jam-packed into the lyrics. Um, the, again, I, I, I like the idea of the songs because of, they're sort of covering this concept of that a person is being trapped with no way to escape and they're being tormented by some unknown assailant. The thing for me, though, is that the song has a very upbeat kind of positive vibe. So I often wonder the lyrics don't kind of match the song. That's just my opinion. <laughs> but but I'm thinking to myself, well, this is interesting, but eh, I don't mind the song. But I have just for me, I just find the the odd juxtaposition of like the kind of like dark lyrics and more of an up up uppity vibe for me but it's it's okay as a song itself and jam oh well i thought the song was about sharon because he's trapped <laughs> and trying to get away no in all seriousness no i but but hearing ken explain it i was like actually he's right uh you know this is he's trapped and he's trying to get away and maybe it's an upbeat song. Maybe she didn't read the lyrics. I don't know. But no, it's, that drum intro is fantastic. And this is where Leaker's like just dominates. And, uh, you know, I mean, that drum intro is just amazing. And again, another massive guitar riff. And uh, I mean, I, I just love it. And it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's another great song. It's probably one I don't necessarily play all the time. But I, on this album, I usually let it play through. But um, you know, if I was to pick them in order, this would be towards the end of the album for me. But I still, I mean, it's still like a, a nine, a nine and a half out of ten for me. So now I read somebody thought the song was about a voodoo doll. No, it's possible because it says yeah. the pins and needles prick the skin of little dolls, and you got your fate is in his hands. You know, so it's like somebody's. <laughs> so I don't know if this person is on the ball or just going by what he thinks but songs always can have a lots of different meanings of course but that's just what that person said so i thought i'd share that tidbit in that's, case people that's agree a good, that's a good point because in one of the lyrics it says <laughs> the little doll is you yeah so i mean yeah. there you go yeah you're, you're a genius you got it <laughs> i guess yes well i know i'm a genius but i'm not sure <laughs> not anyway then we go to another slow one we have tonight and uh, Jim, what do you think of tonight? Well, this would I would classify this as a bit of the ballad baby on the on the album. Uh, you know, we haven't really brought up Aries uh, keyboards and they're really prevalent in this track. I like it. It's catchy. It's definitely catchy. Um, and I you know the the chorus and that's pretty catchy. I, I, I like it. And like I say, uh, you know the the keyboards I think add to it. It gives a kind of a little bit of a, I mean, it's a little bit more 
slower and, and maybe a little bit more kind of upbeat, but it kind of reminds me of a little bit of a, a deep purplish with those, uh, with those keyboards in there. So, but I, I really, really like it. It's a, it's a good song. And, uh, you know, we're heading towards kind of the end of the album shortly. And, uh, I think it's got a great spot on the album as well, too. Um, and I believe this one was uh, tonight. I think this was the third single release. So they did, uh, they did give it some traction, but I don't think it was released till 1982. So uh, interesting that they would pick this one as maybe the third third single off it and not exactly the, the last track, which is the title track, which is kind of weird. <clears throat> and Ken? <clears throat> yeah, the song is all right. Um, it, again, it's not one of my favorites on the album. Um, yeah, I think what was noted about a lot, a lot of keys on this, especially towards the back end of the song, um, you know, again, like looking at Daisley's lyrics, it's all about reflection, and it's interesting in that regards. But I didn't really find the song um, something I'd want to revisit on this album a few times. But yeah, it's okay. It's an okay song. Well, I think there is an, another good solo there near the end, so that kind of saves it for me. And it is a catchy song. I know I listened to it the other day, and then I'm walking around singing it and thinking, but I don't really like yeah. this song. Why am I doing this? <laughs> but anyway, but yes, it is, it's saved by Randy's solo again. And then we have S-A-T-O. I guess that's how I'm supposed to pronounce it, since there's dots yeah. between everyone. So, Ken, how do you like this song? The second last one. This song actually has a lot of interesting background um, to it. Because <laughs> um, now Daisley wrote this song and originally it was called Strange Voyage. So when they got kicked out of the band, Sharon and Ozzy decided that they were going to make some changes. So Sale refers to Sharon Arden Thelma Osborne. Um, so it's weird. It's a weird title. I think I prefer the Strange Voyage title a lot more <laughs> and i also like the fact that um daisley was talking more about the idea here um you know again about about discovery about about trying to change your life um and what he apparently from what i read um the song is derived from a buddhist monk from I, it's like thousands of years back who wrote a letter um called the sea of suffering or, or, or a ship to cross the sea of suffering. So that's where the voyage of the idea of the ship comes in. So it's, again, <laughs> I always say that a lot of these songs are so lofty with the ideas, which is great. Nothing wrong with that. But it's kind of a shame that, you know, he came up with this title um, and then they went ahead and after he got put it out, they changed the title of the song. I like the song. Um, it's it's adventurous for me. Um but yeah, I just I still can't get out of my out of my mind. Just you know, like God, they wrote this song and then they have to turn around and just fiddle with it and change it. But um, yeah, it's it's a pretty decent song. Uh, uh, Jim, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's a, got that fast guitar in it. I mean, it, it's it's kind of I, I agree with Ken being like a lofty and there's so many different sort of not really there's theories like the one Ken had said about it being Sharon. Uh, her name or whatever and then there's a sail around the ocean is another thing online they talk about so i i don't know i mean um you know, it's it, it definitely writing is different than what i would say you'd typically find on an aussie album so it feels like you could tell it wasn't necessarily i mean I, i'm sure aussie i'm sure they had 
it was written by Daisley. I'm sure Ozzy had some sort of knowledge of what it was about or whatever, but just kind of it doesn't it doesn't seem to fit into the line of the album in my mind. But I mean, I love the song. The song's great. And uh, I prefer it not being about Sharon. So uh, I'm going to go with the sail around the ocean. <laughs> but uh, no, it's got, it's got killer guitar. But I, I agree with Ken. This is a lofty sort of subject. You read the, the lyrics and it, you know, it's not flying high again. It's not, you know, uh, off the next album, Bark at the Moon. It's just, and it's, it's not a typical. And I think it would have been better to be uh, called the original title as well. I mean, come on, you know you got to do what you got to do things that are right here. It's just, I I feel sometimes these early Aussie albums, especially this one was made out of like, I just find there's so much uh, animosity kind of in the album and maybe the era that surrounds the Osbournes that, you know, and they're kind of, it's like reaping what you sow a little bit. And, and uh, you know, everybody loves Ozzy, but nobody really likes Sharon. So you know, this is the reason why. I mean, I get it. She 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 cleaned him up and she helped him or tried to clean him up or and tr- and helped him and probably to some degree saved his life. But in in the reverse, also really kind of in my mind, adversely uh, affected his career to some degree. So, you know. But anyways, yeah, it's it's a great song. I like it. Again, the guitar and it's phenomenal. And uh, but I just uh, the name of it could be. I, I'd go with the original title. Well, so as we were all mentioning lyrics or not, or what the song might be about, I'm reading somebody's comments saying it's about a pirate. <laughs> because he's talking about searching for gold. But, oh but then I got to thinking it might be some guy who's high and thinks he's a pirate. <laughs> so Maybe. I don't know where these people get this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and there is that saying, uh, yeah, sailing across the ocean or around the ocean or whatever. And yeah, I see the Sharon Osborne name thing on there. I thought maybe it stood for Sharon Axe the Oz is what I thought it was for. <laughs> As I try to come up with that. Anyway, then we finish off with, uh, I think this is like a masterpiece Ozzy Osborne song, especially with Randy Rhodes' yeah. guitar in it, but the title track, Diary of a Madman, and I forget where we are. Ken, I think, I'll let you talk first. Sure. So um, what I what, what's great about this song is the title, Diary of a Madman, is taken from the 1963 Vincent Price kind of gothic horror film where he's like a sculptor going mad. So there's like in the movie itself, just quickly, it's like there's an inner... He has his inner voice talking to him and, and pushing him to kill. So obviously, you know, they took that title for this song. And this, as you said, Blake, this is a masterpiece. This is probably one of my yeah. favorite Aussie songs altogether. Um, even right from the beginning to the end of the song, um, you get that acoustic, like haunting opening. And then what I like it towards the end of the song, you get those kind of operatic uh uh, ahas at the end which really accentuate that ending uh guitar riff what a great mm-hmm. song from start to finish this is probably one of my 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 favorite aussie songs and jim <laughs> agree totally agree this is what ties the whole album in and i think this song for me is what makes this album for myself better than the first album but i mean i'm talking better by just points of points but this is, I mean, that classical sort of acoustic guitar vibe in it. It's and it's got everything in it. It's got, I mean, you know, you it's got elements of power metal, elements of doom, 
elements of some some acoustic classical elements uh you know traditional metal i think it's really really good and it's a really smart song and i you know I, I love the fact that they tied it in with they, they made this sort of masterpiece with the the album's name, um, you know, being the album's name. And I could never understand why that was never, never really uh, maybe it didn't get a lot of radio play. I'm not sure. Um, just with the many elements of the song, maybe, you know, commercially, it was probably not necessarily uh, accepted as well as like some of the other more easier to sing and easier to kind of tap your foot along song but yeah this is a masterpiece my favorite song on the album and probably one of my favorite Aussie songs of all time I mean it's just that good and I, I absolutely love it and yes and then what I already said it was a masterpiece so it, it kind of reminded me of like Revelation Mother Earth from the first album kind of this feel or yep. whatever and but yeah, Randy's playing in it. And oh. Jim kind of mentioned, we probably talked about this on the Blizzard of Oz episode. And Jim, you kind of mentioned this before we started about like, it's too bad that Randy Rhodes only was on these two albums and we never got yeah. to hear what he could do. Cause I'm sure he wouldn't have stayed with Ozzy, just like you no. said. And he probably would have did solo albums like, you know, like Satriani and Vi used to do. Like, I guess they still do, but it, it's too bad we didn't get to see what he could have did. You know, it, it's funny, so? you're right, 100% right. I mean, it's funny, like every time we talked, like we did on the last podcast too with Ozzy, you know, Ozzy with Black Sabbath, Ozzy with his solo career, it's always, like Ozzy's voice is, is pretty good. It's very distinctive, but it's not the best metal voice out there. I mean, let's be honest, but it's his bandmates. And that's the thing, because in the uh, Lee Kurzweil documentary, he talked about <clears throat> how, Ozzy had told him to go tell Sharon uh, that he didn't want to perform two nights in a row or something. And that's, he thinks, the, the tipping point of where uh, Sharon kind of got pissed at him. Um, but anyways, you know, he said he's my bandmate. He was our lead singer. So like, as Ken said, they were thinking this was an actual band. Like, it wasn't just the Ozzy Osbourne kind of show. This was going to be it. And I mean, you know, you had Randy Rhodes there, as far as I'm concerned. You know, you could have had, I mean, yes, Ozzy's name was on it, but that was quickly, he was quickly being overshadowed by how well the band was. And he, that was the same thing in Black Sabbath as well. I mean, you had great bandmates in there. So I always feel that, and I love Ozzy stuff. I love Ozzy Black Sabbath, but I feel the talent and band that has always been put together, especially in his solo career, because it was always put together you know, it changed kind of from album to album after this. And it, it kind of, you know, they had Jakey e. Lee eventually. And, and then they just kind of kept going uh, where they would always bring in these people, including his last album, where he had tons of guest musicians on it, which which I thought was kind of cool, too. Um, that would always help him out and maybe cover a little bit of what Ozzy was maybe lacking in. And uh, I mean, definitely you know, Randy Rhodes. I mean, a musical genius. I would have loved to see you. I would love, you know, it would be so cool to be, thinking about how things would have changed differently and and how he would have affected metal and I honestly think he was going to go head back to sort of a classical background but can you imagine what he would have done and it just blows you away when you think about it yes um oh so we're going to rate the album uh let's uh jim what do you give this album out of 10 oh 10 out of 10 definitely this this i mean i think i even rated the last album at 10 out of 10 uh but i mean <laughs> 
you know, it's this is just I, I like it just that pinch more. I feel like it feels like more of a cohesive band, even though and it probably was to some degree while they were recording, even though I'm sure there was lots of interference and stuff from outside forces. Uh, but, you know, and then at the end of it, they just kind of switched it up before they went on tour. So, uh, you know, but I just I find it's uh, but I mean, I love the first album, too. So uh, but but this is this is my favorite uh, Ozzy album out of them all. And Ken, what would you give it out of 10? I'm actually wanting to give it a nine, but after listening to both of you guys talk about Randy Rhodes, I'll, I'll give it a 10 as well. Cause I think, the, <laughs> I think the guitars save it. There's a couple songs where I, they're okay, but I, I don't, they're not memorable, but, but the guitar licks are, and those riffs are great. So I'll, I will give it a 10 as well. Okay. Well, if I was going to rate it on the fact that, Randy Rhodes is on it. Yes, I would give it a 10 too. <laughs> but some of the songs, I just, I like the first album better. I, I don't know. Right. I feel it was more heavier maybe for me. I don't know. But so I'd only give this one 7.5. Okay. <laughs> and I'm not really a big, I'm not really a big Aussie fan, which we might have mentioned in the last episode and maybe some Black Sabbath episode too. I never really liked Aussie that much, but that might be part of sharon ruining it for me too possibly yeah <laughs> definitely but anyway now this album did peak at number 17 in canada number 14 in the united kingdom and number 16 in the united states and those are the only countries it has on this chart though but it went platinum in canada and it went triple platinum in the united states yeah awesome and so uh Oh, so we're going to get to our top 10 list today. And we thought we'd try to do something a little different since we're talking about like guitar hero, guitar god, whatever you want to call it. We're going to do our top 10 guitarist or our top 10 guitar teams. So it just depends which way everybody went. I didn't I didn't give specific like rules on on this. I just said, like, if you wanted to say Iron Maiden instead of saying Adrian Smith, you could say that or if you wanted to say like judas priest instead of maybe kk downing is your guy but you want to just say judas priest you could do that or you could just pick single guitar guys so i'm going to let jim i guess go first and you can start at your number 10 i hopefully i have 10 but yes start at your number 10. <laughs> well i you know this was a hard list to do because unfortunately i'm leaving some guitar gods off it and you know, it, it, it tore me apart. So, but I mean, that number 10, I have to put this in here. I went with Alexi Leo from Children of Bodom because I'm on a humongous Children of Bodom kick right now. And I mean, he is one of my favorite vocalists and, and guitarists. So I'll uh, I'll give him a nod there for sure. Number nine, obviously I went with a duo, only one duo on, on my list. So I went with Judas Priest, uh, KK Downing and Glenn. And I mean, you know, I both guitar gods in their own right i mean wow what a what a band and to just have two of these guys on the same stage at a, at a time and you know i love kk priest's new stuff that uh that he's put out this year and uh, a couple years ago i have jim some of my top um you know, 
number eight, I go with uh, Alex Lifeson. So, uh, you know, um, with some, you know, I got to throw some rush on there. And for that number seven, Page. Uh, you know, this was my sort of, I threw this in for Blake because he's such a Zeppelin fan. Um, six for me. Jim, is sorry, Schenker, Jim, you're, so you're breaking up a little bit. All his stuff he's done with his band. Number <laughs> Jim, oh, Jim's gone. <laughs> oh, no. Well, he was he was breaking up there. I okay, think he said nope. Jimmy Page. Sorry, we lost Sorry. you. You you hey, were I'm breaking bad. up there. <laughs> okay. What was the last thing I said? Sorry, guys. I, I think Page. you said number seven was Jimmy Page. Is that yeah. right? That's yeah, and I was going on about how I picked him because I know you're such a great big okay. uh, Zeppelin fan. So, but I I like Zeppelin as well too. Number six is Michael Schenker. Love Michael Schenker. Love all his incarnations of his bands. I think he's a talented guitar player. Number five. Probably will piss some people off because he's so high in my list, but I love Ingve Malmsteen and I love Ingve. And I know everybody's like, ah, every time I say it online, like I bought some Ingve albums uh, to give, to fill in some of my back catalog. And I, I was debating whether I even want to put them online because I was like, ah, maybe I don't want to. I'm going to get people, ah, Jimmy, what are you doing? <laughs> and, but I, I love, I think he's great. And I mean, I, I absolutely think he's a genius uh, number four tommy iomi from obviously black sabbath don't need to say anything and then i get down to my top three i mean this was a hard one to go with and i picked number three is richie blackmore even though it could have easily been my my two uh number two i went with eddie van halen i mean i love van halen but i mean he's another another guitar uh god my number one obviously is randy rhodes and i would when I did the list, no matter whatever list I do for guitarists, it's always Randy, Randy, Randy first. So, and then uh, just fill in everybody else. But I probably could have put Richie even a second because, I mean, I love what he did in uh, with uh, Me Purple and Rainbow. So, I mean, you know, it's awesome. So that's my list. Sorry, guys, I must have lost you. But it jumped right back on. I don't know what happened. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I didn't. I was trying to stop you from talking because I wasn't sure what you said for number seven. Then you were gone, but then you came back. So anyway, <laughs> the funny thing you did, you mentioned Eddie Van Halen and then Randy Rhodes. We probably talked about this in the last episode where supposedly they didn't like each other. <laughs> and yeah. some, some, somebody put a picture of Eddie Van Halen on, on Richie or <laughs> Eddie Van Halen on Randy's either his wah-wah pedal or his distortion pedal so that he could stomp on his face while he was playing oh. guitar or something. I don't know. But I don't know how true that is, but I heard that. <laughs> so, Ken, we'll let you go now with your top 10 list. Okay, so I did something that's veering off a bit different from what you guys have probably done. So I've stuck with the idea of uh, duo guitarists for bands that I think work with the two people creatively in a band. So uh, for me, number 10, I'm picking George Lentz and Jeff Pilsen for Dokken. Um, I love Dokken. I grew up with him in the 80s. Um, and I, I, I'm putting him on that list because of, of their association and their continual partnership years later, they still make music together. So I think that's kind of an important, like, it's not Dokken, but they're still creating new music to this day. So that's why I got them on my list. Cool. Uh, now, number nine, I'm putting another great, band called Cacophony, uh, Jason Becker and Marty Friedman, uh, when they mm -hmm. were part of the uh, the, the Jim Barney uh, Shrapnel record days, 
they only put out two albums, um, you know, Speed Metal Sympathy, Sympathy and um, Go Off, but two amazing albums of pure guitar goodness. 80s guitar rock. I love it. I love it. Uh, at uh, number, sorry, I'm at number eight. So at number eight, um, I went with, uh, okay, yeah. So I went with Anders Borler and uh, Martin Larson from At The Gate. And I love those two guys. They're <laughs> such a great band. Uh, I know that they only had a couple albums and disappeared, and now they're back playing music. But I love their partnership. They 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 trade off well with each other. Uh, number seven, I'm going to go with Exodus, and that would be Gary Holt and Lee Altus, which are fabulous. Lee Altus is such a great guitar player, and I'm glad that uh, yeah. he joined the band because he's really elevated that band with his style of playing. And you know what can you say about Holt? Holt is one of the veterans in the thrash scene. Great, great pairing. Uh, number six, I'm putting Testament. So I'm going to go with Eric Peterson and Alex Skolnick, who, again, really, they've made so much great music together. I, lo I love the band, and it works well for me. Uh, at number five, I'm putting Judas Priest. So it's Glenn Tipton and K.K. Downing. Again, two classic guitar players. Great sound. Made a lot of great music together. Um, at number four... I'm going to go with Metallica. So James Hetfield and Kirk Hammett. Again, they play well together. Metallica needs no further uh, introduction. We all know what they're, what they're capable of doing and what they've done. Uh, at number three, I'm going to go with Shadows Fall. Now, Jonathan Donay and Matt Banton are two guitar players that I absolutely love. I love this band. Um, it's just a shame that uh, they're unable to play as a band now because of financial issues so each of them all split up and gone to other bands one one good thing i'll say is that jonathan is now an anthrax so and i love anthrax so i'm that's a big coup for them to get him because he's such a monster guitar player um at number two i'm going to go with where's my number two here i'm sorry why am i lost here uh number two number one sorry guys i wrote this down uh, at number two, yes, yeah, sorry. At number at number two, I'm I'm going to be putting um, Iron Maiden on my list. So Dave Murray and Adrian Smith. What again? What more can you say about those two? Great, 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 great band altogether. And of course, my number one, I'm going to put Dave Mustaine and Marty Friedman from Megadeth. That's a great era of the band <laughs> that I totally yeah. love. I totally love. So that's that's how I came up with my list. That's good cool. list. Um. Now I uh, I mostly have single guys, um, but I'm just gonna stick. And mine are probably mostly old. <laughs> <laughs> I guess some of your guys are old too. But uh, <laughs> number ten, I went because it was it wasn't I don't know because there's a lot of guys I'm gonna leave it. I mean I liked Ingve too back yeah. in the day and uh, whatever. There's a whole bunch of guys. I'm sure Eddie Van Halen is good, but he's not on my list. But there's so many that could be on the list. So it's mostly like just, you know, it's my favorite, maybe not my favorite bands, because I don't have Faith No More on here, because I don't really care about the guitar. It's a Faith No More. I compare well with the singer. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so number 10, I got Annihilators, Jeff Waters, just because uh, I love his thrash riffing so much. Not so much. Nice. I mean, I'm sure there's good solos too, but I just always like every Annihilator album, there's always some great riffing on it. So I thought I'd throw a Canadian in here because I'm cool. pretty sure that's my only Canadian on the list. 
and I don't think anybody else had any Canadian. Oh, you had Alex Lifeson. I guess he's Canadian yeah. dude. So there's two. Number nine, I got Deep Purple's Richie Blackmore. Nice. And number eight, I got John Five from, well, he's in mm-hmm. Motley Crue now. I don't really want to say that, but he is. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mostly it's for his solo stuff, of course, his instrumental guitar albums that he's got. And he's always, he's got the horror theme going on. And I can't remember the name of the last album, but but he's got some great albums and he's a great player. He used to play with uh, Marilyn Manson, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Who I also liked. And so, yeah, so I love John Five. And I think he's kind of being held back if he's going to stay in Motley Crue. I think he needs to just go on his own <laughs> and not be playing, you know, Motley Crue songs live. Um, okay, number seven, I got Randy Rhodes from here. Number six, I have I have two in a row of solo instrumental guitar guys. Steve Vai is my number six, even though I guess there has been some singing in some of his albums, but mostly just you know solo guitar stuff because I think he was amazing back. Well, I guess he's still going at it too, but especially in the eighties, I used to, I saw David Lee Roth play twice. I think I saw, I like David Lee Roth, but I was there to see Steve Vai play <laughs> all the stuff that he could play. And Billy Sheehan was on the bass too in the, those bands. So that's mostly why I was there to see Dave, even though I did like Dave, he was a funny character. And number <laughs> five, I got the other guy, Joe Satriani's. And I actually saw the G3 tour once with both of them playing. And I love Joe Satriani, Surfing with the Alien album. Great album. And I guess he also used to teach Kirk Hammett of Metallica, if I remember correctly. Number four, I have, this is my most, even though this band has also been around for 20 plus years. But they're the newest, except for John Five. I guess he might be younger than this is. But anyway, Arch Enemy, because I love Arch Enemy and I love their playing. I don't, they're like melodic death metal, of course. And I just, they're playing. So I'm humming along to the guitar licks and stuff that they're doing. Jeff Loomis, ex of Nevermore, of course. And Michael Lamont, who I believe was in Carcass before he got into Arch Enemy. But I just love those two guys and their solos and everything. I just, Love seeing them play live, those guys. Number three, I have Jimmy Page, of course, from Led Zeppelin. And I'm not going to say anything about that. I just, as Jim already told, already said that I'm a big Led Zeppelin fan. So I had to have him in there. Number two, I got Dream Theater's John Petrucci. As I probably saw Dream Theater play live like 10 times. And I just thought he was, I think the whole band, of course, is amazing at their instruments. And, but yeah, I love John Petrucci. I remember one time watching a video on youtube i think he was doing a guitar clinic probably at berkeley where he went to school and he was up on the stage and there was just people watching him and he played something for like a minute on his guitar and then you know he stopped and everyone clapped or whatever and then he said okay that was at half speed now i'm gonna play at full speed <laughs> and then everybody <laughs> in the crowd just like gasped and went what because <laughs> they couldn't believe that was just at half speed but yes, he's an amazing guitarist. And first I have, well, first I put down Kirk Hammett. Then I thought, oh, maybe I should say Metallica because James is a big part of the band too, like Ken already said. But, and I'm going back to like, you know, the 80, the classic 80 yeah. albums, the first four or whatever albums and just the great guitar work and the solos. I love Kirk Hammett solos. I would always play air guitar to those first few albums and then get a guitar and pretend I could do those solos. <laughs> <laughs> But of course I couldn't. 
And I think that's, so that's my list. And I think this is one of the things I miss about music today is these guitar heroes and guitar gods. It doesn't seem like it's as prominent today. Not, I'm not saying there's not good guitarists, of course, but it's just, there's not, they don't stand out as much as they used to back in the eighties. And like, cause you would hear Randy Rhodes and say, Oh, that's Randy Rhodes. Or you would hear Angus Young of ACDC and go, Oh, that's Angus Young. But now there's so much, there's so many bands and so much talent that it's hard to tell them apart until you hear the singer. I don't know if you can agree with me on that. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is in the Kurz Lake uh, documentary, he was self-taught by years. So he wasn't properly trained as a drummer. So he said that a lot of musicians now, guitarists, drummers, every, every musician that are not self-taught like they were back in the old days, they're all technically proficient in their craft, which makes them, so you have this guy who's a great drummer or this guy who's a great guitarist, took the same lessons as this person who took, who's a great guitarist and a great drummer. So it's very, you, you hit it on the head. It's They're very technically proficient, but they all sound very similar. There's not that difference of, of how it is. And when you hear sort of a lot of the background drum, bassists, uh, guitars, they're, they're not properly trained back in the old days. And they learned it by ear. They learned it by, uh, what did he call it? He was drumming and he said, I learned it by being the parrot, just just copying it like a parrot. So it's pretty neat. And they were talking about that and they were talking about guitarists and bass players. And they were saying that, you know, these guys know everything about it, know how to read sheets of music and know how to do this and know how to do that. But they, they also, so does the next band. So does the next band. And you hit it on the head there for sure, uh, Blake. And did you want to add any of that part? Um, yeah, so... The other point that I would make is that modern music is very, um, it's so digitized these days. So everything gets Mm -hmm. as much more homogenized as how it not used to be. So, um, you know, so you do, you get a lot of that, a lot of that originality kind of cut down and it doesn't sound as good. So it sounds more processed. And so every band does sound the same. So you don't get like a guitar legend, like as we've been discussing here for the last hour. And that's where I think is one of the biggest differences with modern music, Blake. And I, I get your point earlier saying why you don't listen to a lot of modern metal. And I, I, I would agree. I, I, I mean, I run my own website as well and work for you guys and do work for, for the metal pit, but I have the same opinion. I hear a lot of, I get a lot of music sent my way and it's like, eh, it's all right, but it doesn't grab me in a way that I would have found myself in the eighties when you're hearing all these bands and it's like, Oh, wow. And you're blown away. So yeah, I think that's a that's a large part of it. I think the digital age has changed the way that music is perceived and heard. Mm-hmm. And there's like so many bands now too, and like yeah. people, and then people listen. The younger people will listen to stuff differently than we do. Like we might put on our vinyl still, but then they're listening on Spotify or whatever, and they maybe are listening to a playlist instead of listening to an album. And like there could be a group, whoever it is. That might be one of the best groups, but they probably can't name any of the band members. They just know what the group's called. Like they can't say, "Oh, the guitarist." I love the guitarist name, whatever. John Doe, he's amazing, whatever. He's just gonna say, "Oh, I love that band's guitarist," because they don't know the names anymore and stuff. At least that's what I think. 
Because again, yeah, they don't stand out. Like back in the 80s, yeah. we had all these magazines at Parade or Circus, whatever, and they would always do their reader polls. And so you'd always see it year after year. You'd see the same guys like Eddie Van Halen, yeah. Randy Rhodes. Well, Randy Rhodes only for a few years, I guess, but you would see Eddie Van Halen and Angus Young and Jimmy Page and then Kirk Hammond, Dave Mustaine, whatever. So you'd see the same guys, but I don't even know if any sites or magazines do those kinds of reader polls anymore. Because there's just so many people out there. People are just going to pick their favorite band. If somebody likes Cannibal Corpse, Corpse are going to look up, okay, who's the guitarist name in Cannibal Corpse? I'll put him down. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. So there's just, yeah, that's just, that's a lost art, I find. And some of these bands don't even play guitar solos anymore. They just kind right. of riff through the whole thing. And so that's what I, yeah, that's what I miss about the modern day music is because I love the guitar and like, that's how I got into music. Like I would go see whatever Steve Vai and just be amazed at watching him play. And that would make me want to learn how to play it or try to learn how to play the guitar or make me want to go buy a guitar or whatever. Yeah. But if I go, I don't go to many shows anymore, but if I did, there's not many bands that's going to make me like, if I was back being a 20 year old or whatever, I don't think I'm going to watch a show and think, oh, I want to play the guitar because like we already said, and a lot of them sound the same, <laughs> like they don't stand and, out. But And then you have a band like Ghost who's ripping up so popularity, but the guitarist is a ghoul. We don't even know who he is, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, it doesn't, it's, I mean, I know it's all around Tobias Forge, but still, I, I like to know who's in the members of the band. And that's one of the reasons why I, I don't like Ghost is because I think it's just him and a bunch of session players he probably pays 300 bucks a night to. So, you know. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, I don't know much about Ghost. I know I don't like them, but that's about all I know. <laughs> Man. But anyway, anything, anything to add about this, about Randy Rhodes or anything else? Ozzy, anything? Well, if Randy was here, I, I'm, I'm assuming he would have had a, an amazing career. Um, yeah, based on yeah. based on the last uh, last Ozzy album that he was on, it, you could see that he was on the start of something great for sure, epic sounding, and who knows where it would have been. It's it's just something we can speculate for hours, but yeah, I think he would have went on to a really really good career. Yeah, for sure. Yes, it is a big loss that we didn't get to see where he would have went. So anyway, thanks for joining me. I'm going to mention here. So coming up next week, we're going to stay in the year 1981. I don't know why we're in this rut of staying in 1981. But let's see. Me, Jim, and Stacia are going to be doing Venom's sec. No, first album. Sorry. Yeah, the first album. Welcome to Hell. Since that will be the first, that will be the last episode before Christmas. I thought it was fitting to have Welcome to Hell be the conversation. <laughs> Okay, I don't know what that means. Uh, don't be offended. I didn't mean anything by that. <laughs> I'm sure Venom likes Christmas too. Anyway, oh, yeah. that's the next episode. <laughs> so thanks for joining me, guys. Thank you. Yep. And thanks, everybody, for listening. See you next week. <laughs>